At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. Jesus is all I need. If you turn to Colossians chapter 1, I want to read today verses 1 through 8. The teaching will be taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And the word of God reads like this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm teaching from this idea, from this focus, Jesus is all I need. When we read and study the epistles of Paul, we come to recognize that every epistle had its own theme or focus, if you please. In Romans, it is justification by faith. In Ephesians, it is the mystery of Christ and his church. In Philippians, it is the joy that we find in Christ. And in Colossians, it is the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ as head of all creation and the church. Just look at somebody, tell them Jesus is all I need. When we consider the background of this epistle, we come to understand that the church at Colossae was developed during Paul's two-year ministry at Ephesus. Paul never visited the church at Colossae, but he had two ministers in the person of Epaphras and Philemon who ministered to this church under the spiritual guidance and direction of Paul. And whenever there was an issue to arise, Epaphras would turn to Paul for direction and instruction on how it was to be dealt with. 
And one of the primary problems that the Christians at Colossae, the Colossians had to grapple with, was the false teaching of persons who were known as the Gnostics. These persons were individuals who were propagating a doctrine known as Gnosticism. And in this doctrine of Gnosticism, they were sagaciously seeking to move the Colossian Christians away from their commitment in Christ Jesus. The, the philosophy of Gnosticism, the root of that word in the Greek is the word gnosis, which means knowledge. And so the Gnostics took the position that they were spiritually elite, that they had an insight and an understanding in spiritual matters above everyone else. And so in their tenet, the Gnostics, it was a kind of combination of Greek philosophy and mysticism. And the Gnostics, basically, in the tenet of their doctrine, they took the position that everything that was of matter was evil. And the only thing that had value was that which was spiritual. And so when it came to God and the creation of the world, then the Gnostics said that God could not have had a hand in the creation of the world because matter was intrinsically evil. And so the Gnostics then, they denied the incarnation of Jesus Christ. They denied the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross, and they denied the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. I want you to understand, beloved, that when you read the Bible, when you read the scripture, do not make the error, do not make the mistake of thinking that you're reading and studying a book that is antiquated and that is not speaking to the context of your life today. Because the word of God is very much in touch and in tune with what you and I are grappling with right now. Because as quiet as it's kept, you and I today live in a culture of syncretism. Syncretism is where you bring a little bit of this, that, and the other together. Syncretism, when it comes to spiritual matters, would be like saying that you are all right with receiving spiritual goulash. You know, uh, syncretism uh, says, well, I'll take a little bit of Christianity and I'll put with it a little bit of Navarra, and I'll put with it a little bit of New Age religion, and I'll put with it a little bit of Islam, and a little bit of Buddhism, and a little bit of Hinduism, and a little bit of philosophy. I'll just take all of this and start mingling it together. And that's why a lot of people in church uh, today seemingly do not know what they believe. 
And, and it has gotten so dangerous, beloved, that I could also add to this particular point that even within the Christian church, in Christendom, there are people today who have some strange theology. Uh, strange fire has made its way to the altar. And when you listen to what they say about the church and about Christ, you have to ask them, what Bible are you reading? And so it behooves us to really know what we believe and in whom we believe. Because the Bible says that the devil will dress himself up as an angel of light and that he will deceive the very elect. And that the demonic has unclean spirits and he has his own emissaries who uh, go about uh, under mask uh, uh, propagating the idea that they are ministers of Christ when in reality they have no commitment to Jesus but they will infiltrate the church like a Trojan horse in order to sagaciously seduce the saints and get us off track and cause us, if we are not careful, to fall away from the faith. You see, uh, the pandemic caused us to have to start wearing masks at church, uh, but some people were wearing masks way before the pandemic. <laughs> And what God is saying to us in his word is that you got to be careful of who is speaking into your life. Now, in order to be careful about who's speaking into your life, then you got to know the word for yourself. Uh, I want to tell somebody that discernment, somebody shout discernment. That discernment is like American Express. Don't leave home without it. You need discernment. And discernment is not something hocus pocus. Discernment is not something that is mysterious. Discernment is me being able to recognize the difference between truth and falsehood. Or even more so in the words of Charles Spurgeon, that discernment means I know the difference between what is right and what is almost right. Because if it's just almost right, it's still wrong. And in order for you to be able to discern and to be able to be able to hold your spiritual ground and not let somebody cause you to go off in the wrong direction, you've got to be able to take the word of God and be able to stand on what you know. Yeah, you got to be able to stand on, on what you know. Uh, several years ago, years ago, uh, it hasn't happened since, but several years ago, I had some Jehovah Witness to come to my home, and uh, they had the little green book with them, and they knocked on the door. I said, can I help you? They said, yeah, we are Jehovah Witnesses, and we wanted to come and talk to you about Jehovah. I said, wonderful. I said, because I'm a Jehovah Witness too. Why don't you come in? 
They had their green book, and I had my Bible, I opened my Bible up. I said, now, which way do you want to talk about him? I know him as Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Roha, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Tiskanu, Jehovah Makadish. Uh, you know, which, which, how do you want to talk about him? You know, and then I said, and of course, he has made himself known supremely in the person of Jesus Christ. After about 30 minutes of talking with me, they said, well, we've got some other visitations we need to make. I said, I understand we're all busy, but whenever you get a free moment, please feel free to come back by. You've got to be able to know what you know. Are you just a person who attends church, but you don't know who you are as a child of God? You've got to know where you stand. Paul is writing this epistle to the Christians at Colossae because he's heard about the challenge of Gnosticism and the deceitfulness of these false teachers known as the Gnostics. And he's writing a word to them that is to give them direction in terms of how they are to live their life and how they are to understand who Jesus is. And Paul wants them to know that when it comes to Jesus Christ, you got to recognize the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ because everything you need you've already got it in Jesus Christ you don't you're not a Christian that I got Jesus plus something else no I got Jesus and it's Jesus alone and so in this wonderful letter that Paul writes to the Christians at Colossae he does so by giving them uh, words of encouragement that's how he opens up this wonderful epistle he opens opens it up with words of encouragement as we make our way through this epistle over maybe the next 10 to 12 weeks we're going to get into some serious matters but he opens this epistle by giving them a word of encouragement every now and then you need somebody to give you a word of encouragement it's in a very real sense the way Paul opens up this epistle is it's about celebration. I'm teaching uh, the theme, the focus is Jesus is all I need. But if I were to give today's teaching a Pacific title, it would be celebrate, celebrate. Just look at the person besides and tell them, say, I want to celebrate you. <laughs> Yeah, I want to celebrate you. And so the first thing that Paul does in this letter, in this opening uh, piece, is he starts out with a celebration of joy. A celebration of joy. Look at verses 1 and 2 in the text. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. You see, what Paul does is he wants them to understand that he identifies with them. Keep in mind that Paul never went to Colossae. He never visited the church of the Colossians. Epaphras and Philemon were there ministering to them under the guidance of Paul. But Paul wants them to understand that while you never laid eyes on me, that while you never met me in person, Paul wants them to know that you and I are spiritually connected, that we are family. And that's the wonderful thing about salvation is that when you 
become a child of God, when you commit your life to Christ, God then lets you become a part of an extended spiritual family. That's why all of us, we have all of our different last names, and yet when we speak to one another, we refer to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Aren't you glad that you got a large family? Yeah, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I told you this morning that Margaret Corossi and over a hundred people in Kenya, in East Africa, are joining in with us right now. And Margaret, I greet you in the name of Jesus and all the wonderful people in Kenya. God bless you. And I look forward to meeting you in person. They've never seen me in person. I've never been to Kenya, but I'm on my way. But I'm not going to wait till I get there for us to understand it's a family affair. I want them to understand that we are spiritually connected. And you ought to thank God for the church. You ought to thank God that you have a spiritual family that you belong to, that loves you, cares about you, and prays for you. And then what is most important, though, is not only does he speak of them as saints and faithful brethren, but even beyond that, he says of them that they are in Christ. Whenever you study Pauline theology, whenever Paul wants to talk about the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, what it means to be saved, Paul's favorite phrase is in Christ. If you say to Paul, what does it mean to be saved? Paul would say it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ means I'm absorbed with Jesus. To be in Christ means I'm full of Christ. To be in Christ means I am sold out on the person of Jesus Christ. You remember how Paul testified about his own relationship with Christ in Galatians. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I died to my own life, but now I got a new life, and that life is in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is so much a part of me that I'm wrapped up, tied up, and I'm tangled up in him. That's why being a Christian is not just a title, but being a Christian is a life that you live because Jesus now has become the sovereign Lord of your life. That's why we could shout this morning when the choir was singing, oh how I love Jesus and I love him because he first loved me. Listen to how Paul talks about our salvation and what it means to be in Christ when he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 3. If you got your Bibles open, turn there real quick. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Paul talks about what it means to be saved and this is what he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I got to pause parenthetically and let you get an attitude, get a real good attitude right now. Look at somebody, tell them, I am blessed 
and highly favored of the Lord. Come on, look at him again and tell him, say, I am blessed and highly favored of the Lord and tell him, and I won't take it back. I am a blessed child of God. Paul goes on to say, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, and according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. If I asked you, are you saved today? Many hands will go up. But what I want you to know is you're not saved by accident. You're not saved by happenstance. You're saved because you were chosen by God. And I know you say, but pastor, there came a day in my life when I decided myself to make Jesus my choice. I know I did the same thing. But what you need to know is that before you decided, to make Jesus your choice God had already chosen you he chose you before you were born it's called the doctrine of election and that God can give us a free will in his own sovereignty and God is so secure in who he is that he'll let me have a free will to make a choice although he's already chosen me before I chose him because God is so supremely informed because of his omniscience and his foreknowledge he knows what I'm going to do before I do it because he understands how I'm going to respond to Christ because he chose me before I came into the world and that's why I know the devil cannot have any victory over my life because I am one of God's chosen so whatever the enemy tries to do against me ultimately is going to have to work for me because I'm destiny's child that's shouting information and so now if you turn back to Colossians then Paul closes out this opening greeting in chapter 1 by saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ brothers and sisters grace always precedes peace and peace will always follow grace how did you get saved you didn't get saved by your goodness you got saved by the grace of God and you ought to thank God for grace because grace means that God looked beyond your faults and recognized your needs. Grace means God gave you a new lease on life. Grace means God gave you another chance because there was a time when Paul says in Ephesians that we were enemies of God but now that you have been saved, now that you have been reconciled in your relationship with God rather than being an enemy of God, you are a friend of God and because you are a friend of God now now you have peace. What kind of peace do I have, Pastor? You got the peace that passeth all understanding. So then that is the celebration of joy. But after the celebration of joy, then Paul talks about the celebration of gratitude. He opens with a celebration of joy, but then there is the celebration of gratitude. Look at verses 3 through 5 in Colossians chapter 1. We give thanks 
thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. You understand as students of the Bible that faith, hope, and love, those are the three aspects of our faith that gives authenticity to who we are as Christians. Let me say it again. As students of the Bible, you understand that faith, hope, and love, those are the three spiritual essentials that give authenticity to who we are as Christian believers. And in this text, as Paul speaks to the Colossians, he then speaks to them about a celebration of gratitude. In other words, he's grateful to God for who these people are. He's grateful to God for how they give expression of their relationship with Christ. And Paul says, the first thing I'm, I'm thanking God for you about is he says, I've got a celebration of gratitude as it relates to your faith. He says in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And when Paul talks about their faith, he's not talking about it in a general way. He speaks very specific and very particular about the faith. He says faith in Christ Jesus. Because listen, beloved, everybody has some kind of faith. Everybody. The only question is, what do you put your faith in? Or who do you have faith in? Because faith in and of itself has no intrinsic value. Faith in and of itself has no intrinsic value. Faith only has value in the object of which the faith has been placed. So everybody in the world may have faith in something. But as Christian believers, our faith is rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews puts it like this. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Which means when it comes to our faith, we have a faith that is marked by certitude, certitude. That means when it comes to our faith, we have a faith that is dealing with conviction and confidence. Conviction and confidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. My faith in Jesus is solid because I've got history with him. I, I, I put my hope and my trust with him because my faith allows me to stand on a solid foundation because I've need him I have needed him and he has shown up I've needed him and he made a way I needed him and he brought me through I needed him and he brought me out I needed him and he made a way where there appeared to be no way and based on what he's already done then I have a conviction about what he will 
do. Not only is my certitude based on conviction, but it's also based on confidence because my faith is not only the substance of things hoped for, but it is the evidence of things not seen. The certitude of my faith in Jesus Christ is so strong that I will praise God for what I'm about to receive. My, my certitude is so amazing that in my present, my tomorrow has already become a reality in my today. I'm asking God to do something in my life. It has not happened yet. I wish I had somebody who had a yet praise. It, it, it hasn't happened yet, but I've prayed about it. And I've asked God to order my steps. And so what is about to happen is in my tomorrow. But what's gonna happen in my tomorrow is so certain. I've got so much confidence that it's going to happen is that I'm celebrating what's going to happen in my future as though it has already happened in my right now, in my present. Okay, let me break it down like a fraction. Some people can praise God on the past. They can praise him on what he's already done. And some people can praise God on the present. They can praise God for what he's doing right now. But there are some of us who have learned not only will I praise him on what he has done and will I praise him for what he's doing right now, but I've learned how to praise God in anticipation of what he is about to do. And that's why the writer of Hebrews also says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Paul says, I've got gratitude for you toward God because of your faith in Christ. But then he says, I've got gratitude, a celebration of gratitude because of your love for all the saints. When he talks about this love for all the saints, Paul is given expression of what allows us to experience community. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. called it the beloved community. Yeah, the beloved community is the place where everybody counts. The beloved community is the place where black people and white people and Asians and Latinos can all come together and worship God and relate to one another in Christ. Yeah, the beloved community is where people who have uh, been blessed of God with significant uh, monetary gain can sit right beside a person who has had to come through object poverty and not look down on them with despise. The beloved community is where a PhD can relate to the person who never came out of high school and vice versa and show respect and dignity to one another. Everybody's talking about black lives matter and black lives do matter. But black lives matter because all lives matter. Oh yes. Yes. 
All lives matter. And the real question that needs to be raised today is do black people understand that black lives matter? That's, that's the real question. Before you expect it to matter to somebody else, it ought to matter to you. But that's a message on another day. But what I'm trying to say to us is that Paul celebrates these Colossians because they were authentically showing love to one another. And how does Jesus say it in John 13, verses 34 and 35? Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. He didn't say that people will know that you're saved because you speak in tongues. He said, he said, they're not going to know that you're a Christian because you walk around with a big Bible in your hand. They're not going to know you're a Christian because of the way you dress. But they'll know that you are a Christian, that you belong to me because of how you treat one another, because of how you relate to one another. The world in which we live today is in desperate need of understanding what community is all about. And the one place and the one people that God has chosen to give demonstration and manifestation of what community is really about is the church of the living God. But then Paul celebrates them because of their hope. He has gratitude because of their hope. He says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Hope. And what is hope? It is not being optimistic. Hope is not positive thinking. Hope is a spiritual disposition that enables me not to fall apart, not to become nihilistic and pessimistic, not to lose my mind in spite of whatever is going on in my life or the world because I understand that my relationship with God in Christ has me connected to the sovereign creator of the world so that whatever is over my head is always under God's feet. That's why when this pandemic hit, I said to God, show me the miracle in the mess. Because I was convinced that the only way the pandemic could happen is God and his providential will had to allow it to happen. So the question is, God, what are you trying to work out in the world? I believe that God is resetting the world. God's resetting the church and God is resetting our lives. And in his own way and in his own time, he's going to take care of all of it. But in the meantime, time one thing is clear he has gotten our undivided attention hope 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 is when I am crying crocodile tears I'm not going to have an emotional breakdown because hope reminds me that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Hope is the inner fortitude and strength to persevere through a storm 
when everything about you suggests that you ain't going to make it. So hope is today ain't going well. But hope says that uh, I woke up this morning. And so since it wasn't going well yesterday, today is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. And the prognosis of tomorrow right now ain't looking too much better than today. But in spite of the prognosis, if God wakes me up, I'm gonna tell myself that this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Hope means that you don't throw in the towel. Hope says quitting ain't in me. I was, I was driving, I was driving going home to Nashville and my mother was still living at that time and my mother, she was in the back seat and Sandra was sitting on the passenger side. Have you ever been in a rainstorm where it stops the windshield wipers? You know, the, the windshield wipers are, you know, and, and you can't hardly see the car in front of you? That, that kind of a rainstorm, that, that's what we were in. And uh, so Sandra said, Sandra said, Walter, why, why, why don't you pull over? I said, no, I said, I'm gonna keep pressing my way. And we went a little farther and it's just pouring down. And Sandra said, Walter, could, could you consider pulling over? I said, no, I said, I can see the taillights on the truck in front of me. It was storming bad, and, and we kept going. And Sandra said, Walter, everybody else is pulling over. Why don't you pull over? I'm not everybody else. I said, I can see the, the, the line in the middle of the highway. And, and, then, and, and, and then we went on a little farther, and, 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 and Sandra said, why don't you pull over? I said, I'm not going to pull over. About that time, my mother in the back seat, she said, you are, you, you, you are so hard-headed. Can't nobody tell you nothing. And so I said to my mother, my wife, I said, it's not that I'm hard-headed. I said, but I've, I've got this proposition. I said, I can stop now. And I'm in the middle of the storm. And where I am now, if I stop, I may remain in it for only God knows how long. But if I keep moving, I'm not driving fast, I'm moving slow, but I'm moving. And if I keep moving, there is the possibility that I will eventually ride out of the storm. And we kept on rolling, and after a while, we came out and it was sun shining down the road. Hope means that you just keep on persevering. Maybe you're moving at a snail's pace, but just keep your eye on the bright and the morning star, and then watch God bring you out. That's hope. So there is the celebration of joy, and there's the celebration of gratitude, but then finally, there is the celebration of the gospel. When you look at the latter part again of first five, verse 5 and read it down to verse 8, again, Paul says, I'm talking about the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you 
as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. It is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. I need somebody just to shout gospel. That's what we need. We need the gospel. And Paul says, I'm thanking God for how you have responded to the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel has to do with the fact that in Jesus Christ, the problem of sin has been solved because of how he gave his life one Friday on a hill called Calvary. That's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ suffered, bled, and died on the cross for the atonement of our sins. He was buried in another man's tomb, but he got up Sunday morning with all power in heaven and earth in his hands. When you study the New Testament, you will study about the charisma and you'll study about the dedicate. The dedicate was the teaching of the faith, but the charisma was the preaching of the gospel. And the charisma had to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want everybody in this sanctuary right now and I want everybody to join with me online to understand that the gospel, that God's salvation is not for some but it is for everyone. That's why one of the most powerful verses of scripture in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. I could pause right now and go on and shout by myself because I know I'm in the whosoever crowd because whosoever means anybody and everybody. Whosoever means you can't get so dirty that God can't clean you back up. Whosoever means you can't get so far down that God can't pick you back up. Whosoever means you can't get so far out that God can't reel you back in. Whosoever means if you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what God has done for you in him, it does not matter where you've been, what you've experienced. It doesn't matter your hardships, your heartaches, your proclivities, your issues, your idiosyncrasies. It does not matter how bad you think you have been. God's grace is sufficient to save anybody. Not only does it save to the uttermost, it saves to the guttermost. And I thank God for the gospel. Jesus Christ himself is the gospel because he was the personification of truth. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I'm not one of the ways. I'm not an expression of some truth. I am the truth. I am the life. That's why we're told in the book of Acts that there's no other name given under heaven whereby men might be saved, save the name of Jesus. I'm not saved because I put my faith in Buddha. I'm not saved because I put my faith in Allah. I'm not saved because I put my faith in Muhammad. I'm not saved because I put my faith in Zoroaster. I'm not saved because of Plato or Aristotle. But I'm saved 
saved because I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and I can hear somebody right now testify I hear you I hear you go on and testify can I tell others what you just said yes this is what I heard you say I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within seeking to rise no more but the master of the sea he heard my despairing cry from the waters he lifted me and now safe am I not tomorrow not yesterday I'm safe right now I'm happy right now I'm content right now I'm rejoicing right now you ought to look at somebody and say it was my testimony that he just told you it was my testimony that he just told you well beloved let me wrap the lesson up Paul opens up this wonderful epistle by in this greeting telling the people that I want to encourage you in your walk with God everybody needs a word of encouragement every now and then and Paul gave them a word he says I'm going to celebrate you and I'm going to celebrate you in the sense of celebrating joy and then he says I'm going to celebrate gratitude and then finally he says I'm going to celebrate the gospel so beloved I tell you I'm grateful to God for joy I'm grateful to God for thanksgiving and God knows I'm grateful for the cross and Paul says that that not only did these people come to Christ but Paul says that Epaphras then helped them to keep growing and to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ beloved church that's God's calling for us and we've got to take it serious it the church is not about a crowd the church is not about an audience but the church is about an army the church is about men and women who come to Christ and then who grow up in Christ and all of us have to be committed to making that happen I'm saying to the young adults in our church and young adults again I'm asking you during this series to pay a serious attention to what God is saying to us in his word and take heed to the word young adults give me your undivided attention right now that's everybody 18 to 25 and then 25 to 39 listen to what pastor telling you do not confuse fashion with faith do not confuse entertainment with spiritual encounter. And do not confuse sound with substance. You've got to understand who you are as a Christian and what it means to walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of us who are past the young adult years, we are now, say, middle-aged or uh, old adults. But listen, we didn't come into the world as old adults. There was a time when we was a baby. There was a time when we we were a child. There was a time when we were a young adult. We've been where you are. Don't think that your mom and daddy ain't got a clue of your challenges. You ought to thank God that your mom and daddy have lived to get old and you're trying to get there. And you're trying to get there with a serious walk with the Lord. And so I'm saying to you, it is important that you know who you are in Christ. And that's why every now and then we need to go to that cross oh yeah every now and then we ought to go by Calvary and thank God for that old rugged cross because that cross is the symbol of our victory that cross is the manifestation of God's love for you and I 
at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Celebrate. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how relevant your word is. Because what you said to the church at Colossae, to the Colossians from the Apostle Paul, you're saying to us today, we celebrate joy, we celebrate gratitude, and we celebrate the gospel. God help us to take this word and hide it in our hearts because the devil wants to deceive us. He wants to trick us. He wants to capture our mind. He wants to rob us of our peace and steal our joy. He wants us to forfeit our spiritual birthright. But let this word so spiritually solidify our relationship with you that we become stronger than ever before. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.